The following audio was recorded at Stone Oak Bible Church. For more information about our church or for more resources, visit us at stoneoakbible.com. I, uh, as a pastor, I love what I get to do. I really do. Um, how I get to serve the church, it's not that it's glamorous or easy. At times, it it's, can be tough, but I love where God has placed me. Um, and as a pastor, I love the church. I love the people that God has, has brought. And um, let me tell you, though, one of my favorite things in the world um, is that by the grace of God, so many times I get to have a front row seat um, to see when people... When, when eyes are open for the first time, and uh, that aha oh, moment, like I, I get to have a front row seat to that, and it is, um, it is incredible. It's one of my favorite things in the world. I mean, how incredible is it that we get to witness that? Someone who sees Christ and believes in Christ and follows after Christ, like that's in, it's incredible, and I love it. Um, and uh, I wish, more than anything, I wish that I can manufacture that. Like, I, I wish that, uh, that I could open eyes for people. How cool would that be? It's like the best superpower ever. <laughs> I wish I could do it. I wish that I could just go like this, then preach, and boom, response. Well, one of the, the first thing you learn as a pastor is that is not at all possible, and that is not at all how it works. Um, I think, I know we're going to be in 1 Timothy 4. You don't even have to turn with me here, but I do think of a text in Matthew. Um, just as I'm preparing for this text, in Matthew 13, Jesus gives this crazy parable of a sower. And um, in this parable, if you remember, you have this sower who's scattering seeds wildly, um, and uh, the seeds are falling on different types of soil. And in this parable, you have some that fell on a hard path, and and Jesus says, hey, those didn't sink in at all, and the birds came and got those. Um, You have some that fell on rocks, and if you remember the parable, there's not much soil there, so so the, the seed, it springs up, but there's no depth, and because there's no depth, when the weather came, it goes, woo! And withers, right? So path, rocks, then you have thorns. And these are the ones that fell in the thorns. They, they grow up, but guess what? So do the thorns. And if you have a yard, you know weeds grow quicker. So as they came up, it just choked out the seed. Choked it out. Um, and then lastly, Jesus said there were still others that fell on good soil. When that happened, the seeds took root, they grew, they produced, they were, they were um, fruitful. And Jesus teaches this parable in in Matthew 13, and what you find out really quickly is this is a unique parable because Jesus actually, a few verses later, says, hold on, hold on. Let me tell you what I meant by that. And he unpacks what he meant by this sower uh, parable he gave. And he said, listen, the seed that was scattered, that was the word of God. That was the gospel. That was the truth. It was being scattered. The, uh, the, the seed that fell on the path, that represented someone. That represented those who would hear, but who would not receive it 
would not understand it. And the gospel, it says that the, the evil one just comes and snatches it away. That's the path. And Jesus said that there are other seeds that fell on the rocks, and the rocks represent those who initially hear the gospel, yet it does not have a deep root. And so even though it appears to, to stand for a moment over time and when trouble comes or when life happens, they wither up and fall away. And then there were the thorns, and these are the ones that represent those who hear the word and yet, they have all of the cares of the world going on at the same time. So as the, the seed is trying to grow, those weeds just and, and, and choke it out. Whether it be money or stuff or jobs or fill in the blank. Good and bad things. You can fill it in. But the world, Jesus says, are like those thorns and it chokes it out. And then finally, you have the good soil, which it, you can probably guess where that one's going. It's the people who would hear and respond and receive uh, the word and believe it, follow it, saved, and they bear fruit. And so Jesus gives us these soils in the parable. And I'm not preaching Matthew 13 this morning, but the reason I bring that up um, before we get into our text is it can be, this text and texts like it can be very frustrating for any pastor or any one of you who share the gospel with someone in your life. Because we wish, we can snap our fingers, boom, good soil. I wish that I could preach the word and know that it was going to sink into 100% good soil. I mean, that's awesome. I want Stone Oak Bible Church to be 100% good soil. But that is not what the word of God promises me. That is not what God says to me in his word um, one more thing about this Matthew 13. I promise we're going to get to 1 Timothy. Um, have you ever wondered when you heard this parable why on earth this sower is just so like careless with his sowing? Like, why doesn't the sower like be a little more discriminate? That right there is rocks. Don't throw them there. That's a path. Like, throw it on the good soil. Why is he throwing careless seeds everywhere? I mean, come on. I know I'm not a farmer um, at all. But I think I could be more careful than that guy's being, right? Um, but here's the thing, is the more I think about this, the more I love this parable, because although, yeah, maybe a sower can look down, again, I'm not a farmer, can look down and be more careful, you know, and I know, that we, as a preacher, or someone sharing the gospel with a friend or neighbor, guess what? You and I, we cannot see what soil we're dealing with. You don't get to know what soil they are. It's like the sower in the parable is also blind. That's how we feel. And so I look out this morning, and I hope that I'm looking at 100% good soil. It's my prayer. I, I hope, and I pray that. But there is a likelihood that that's not the case, because the church is a gathering, a collection of people, including all kinds of soil types. And um, the reason I start here, I love our church, and, and, and the reality is God loves our church more than I do. Um, and although I want to see 100% here um, of good soil that would hear and respond, we're about to look at a scripture that gives us a warning. Um, a warning that we need to hear as the church. And, and so here's what I want to do. I want to read it. I'll read our text. We're going to be in the first five verses of chapter 4. And then I'll pray, and uh, 
We'll get to work unpacking, all right? Verse number one says, now the Spirit expressly says that in the latter times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God in prayer. All right, let's, let's pray together. Lord, we come to your word now like we do every Sunday morning, asking that you would speak, that we would hear from you through your word. We come to your word um, looking to Christ this morning. In fact, as we get into your word, I'm reminded of the text that came right before that we look to Jesus who was manifested in the flesh, vindicated by the spirit, seen by the angels, proclaimed among the nations, believed on in the world and taken up into glory. And until he returns, we look to him through your word. So that, that's what we're doing this morning. And I pray that you help us in that. In Jesus' name, amen, amen. All right, here's what I wanna do as we unpack this text. We're gonna do two things. We're gonna first talk about the specific situations that were going on in this text. There's some unique things happening there. But then also I'd like to see how this text has implications for us today as the church um, to see how this early church in Ephesus, what was going on here in this warning is so important for us today. So that's what we're gonna do. And we'll get right into it. Let's go into verse one. It says, now the Spirit expressly says, by the way, that's a, that's a, what a statement that is. Like, it doesn't appear that Paul's quoting any other scripture here, by the way. Um, it's not like Paul is saying, hey, Isaiah prophesied and, and then gives us this. But he still says, now the Spirit expressly says, the Holy Spirit is clear and direct and gives this definitive statement. And um, we can see statements like this throughout Scripture. Uh, and in fact, we, one that came to my mind is, is Mark 13, when Jesus gives this warning. He says, false Christ, false prophets, they're going to rise, they're going to perform signs, they're going to perform wonders to lead astray, if possible, the elect. Be on guard. Say that again, be on guard. I've told you these things beforehand. So we do see similar things like this throughout Scripture. And... Um, but here Paul's saying, the Spirit expressly said this. As I'm looking at this, you get this, this sense that the Holy Spirit is just speaking to Paul in a way that is direct and in a way that is clear about this church. I'll read the whole thing again, verse 1. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared. We'll stop there. But as I read this, it did remind me of one other text. Um, in fact, uh, it reminded me of what we see Paul saying in Acts 20. And what, what's unique about this is in Acts 20, we have Paul, same guy who wrote our letter, 1 Timothy. And we have Paul speaking to the elders of this church in a city called Ephesus. Just so happens to be the same church that we're dealing with in 1 Timothy. And so here we have the same Paul saying to the same church, you're going to notice saying the very same thing. Acts 20, 
uh, verse 28, says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers or elders to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know, he says, that after my departure, fierce wolves will come among you, not sparing the flock. That's imagery here. I don't believe that's real, like, you know, timber wolves or anything. Like, this is imagery, letting the church know there is an attack coming, and, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples after them. Therefore, be alert. Therefore, be alert, he says. So you see Paul saying the same thing to the same church in Acts 20. And um, the, the thing that we see here is this church is going to be attacked. It's going to be attacked from people, from wolves, who will twist and distort the truth and will add things, take things away in order to deceive and mislead. So Paul says, be warned, this is coming. This is coming. And so when our text says, the Spirit expressly said, in later times, some will depart from the faith because of this. And, and I want to bring up one more question before we, we, we dig further. This, uh, did anyone, when you read this, or when I read it, and I read the word later times or latter times, did anyone of you ask, like, what on earth is that? When is that? When you read that, were you, did you find yourself thinking, like, wait, Am I in those times now? I, I did. And, um, and I think it's important that we do. As I, as I looked at this term, this is not the same term that you're going to see in other texts that translated as the last days. It's not the same term. This is a different term. This, Paul is not talking about those last days, later, future, we'll get there. No. Paul here is talking about the latter days, meaning the days that they were living in. The days that we are living in. These, these later days is a time after Jesus ascends to heaven and before he comes back again. It's the church age. That's the later days. The latter days. That's the age that Paul is talking about here. It's the church age. And it says that in those days, in these days, that some are going to depart from the faith. By devoting themselves to Listen to this, deceitful spirits, teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who are forbidding marriage, requiring absence of food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. Okay, let's, let's, let's dig in here. I want to I wanna, um, point to a couple things that this early church was facing. And then I also want to see why it matters for us. Number one, first thing that we see here. This attack was not only some physical attack and threat, flesh and blood. This attack was spiritual on the church. Deceitful spirits, that's a spiritual attack. Teachings of demons, that's a spiritual attack. Yes, this spiritual attack was through false teachings of real people in the church, but it wasn't just this physical thing that the church was dealing with here. This was a real spiritual attack. And the, the early church in Ephesus faced this, but I want you to be very clear here. Um, scripture also says that we are going to face this. In Ephesians 6, Paul, again, is very clear. We don't wrestle against flesh and blood. 
but against rulers and authorities and cosmic powers over this present darkness, against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Attacks like this in the church are spiritual. We have a very real enemy who does not like you. And he really wants to see the church harmed and split and divide. We're in a spiritual battle. So this church, the early church, we're facing this direct spiritual attack. And as the church is the people of God, today, Stone Bible Church, we will face attacks and spiritual attacks. We must be alert and know what kind of battle we are facing. Point number one. Point number two. This spiritual attack came through came through real people. It came through the insincerity of liars whose consciences were seared, as our text says. So this was absolutely a spiritual attack, but this spiritual, real spiritual attack came through real people who lied about the truth and whose consciences were seared. What a terrible statement that is. Our real enemy unleashes real spiritual attacks through real people. And so this was a spiritual attack through the people in the church's life, through deceivers in the church. I gotta tell you, church, the enemy's game plan has not changed. There are people who will attack the church, who will lie, distract, deceive, in order to pull people away from the simple gospel truth, and they will do this for their own gain or for their own power. There is nothing new under the sun. This leads to the next point. Number three, This attack, this lie, this deception was a distortion of the gospel. Number three, it was a distortion of the gospel. Notice what they are doing. Notice the two examples that Paul cites here. He says there are people who are forbidding marriage and requiring abstinence from food. So forbidding marriage and forbidding certain types of food. Now what goes on? What's going on here? Sounds like a mess, doesn't it? What, what could be happening? I, I, I mean, okay, here's the thing. Although it would be fun for us to just pause and camp out here and um, talk through what all was going on here, I do think it would be a bit unhelpful, maybe even distracting, for us to take all of our time to unpack the heresies that we see here. Um, saying that, if you want to dig and, and you want to you wanna go, I would love to talk with you. Uh, let's, let's do coffee sometime because there's a lot going on here. And here's the thing. There's a lot written about this. There's a lot of speculation about this. There's a lot of differing opinions on what exactly was going on in the church of Ephesus during this time. Um, and I'd love to get in that conversation. But I want to make sure first that we're not missing the big thing. The big thing that is happening. At the heart of this attack is addition. Adding things to the word. Adding things to the gospel. This is a, uh, without getting into the details of, you know, the whole forbidding marriage and not eating certain food. This was a gospel and heresy. Gospel and heresy. So you need to trust and follow Jesus and the word of God and no marriage. You need to trust and you need to follow Jesus And you cannot eat that kind of food. Gospel and. At the heart of the problem of this attack was a gospel and attack. And gospel and attacks may sound harmless, but they will wreck the church. It creates barriers to the gospel that are not true and not of God. It it creates all kinds of stumbling blocks. 
it breeds legalism, breeds heresy. I got to tell you, I don't think there's one cult that has ever started that didn't start with a little bit of a gospel and. Like, this is a serious heresy here, gospel and. Our message is not the gospel and something else. Our message is the gospel, period. Like, that's it. This is our call, is to proclaim that. And we need to be on high alert. Um, we cannot put any extra biblical prerequisites to coming to Jesus and following Jesus. We can't impose any extra biblical requirements on people in order for them to follow Jesus. The truth is it's easy to take non-gospel things and attach them to the gospel because we're passionate about them. We need to be on high alert. This gospel and temptation is, is detrimental to the church and it's subtle and it's easy to do it. And listen, we don't know the reasons why this early church was uh, doing this. We don't know why these, these, these dudes were saying don't get married. We don't know why these dudes were saying don't eat that, eat that, don't eat that. We don't know why. We don't know why it was this. But what we do know is those are not gospel things. In fact, in many ways they go against it. Um, anytime we add things to the gospel, even if and when we try to add the things we think are good, even if or when we try to add those things that are like conscience level issues that we have in our life, we need to be cautious. And Paul is pointing out here this, this adding. He says, no, the number one priority of the church must be to proclaim the gospel, not gospel and the gospel, and to protect it. In fact, we just walked through 1 Timothy 3, and what do we see was the responsibility of elders and leaders in the church was to proclaim the gospel and to protect it. We just walked through this, that we would not try to subtract things from it, but that we would know that this is our authority that we would not try to take this and change it and modify it and that we would know this is inerrant. And, and, and lastly, like they're doing here, that we would not try to add things to it, but to know and trust that this is sufficient. We stand on this. Um, let us not be tempted to grow our own movement, church, by adding or subtracting or modifying the gospel in order to make it more palatable or more attractive to those who we are trying to reach in order to pull away. We need to be centered on the gospel, gospel-centered. And it's like that old saying, Jesus plus nothing equals everything. Love that saying. And that's, that's exactly what this is speaking to. In this early church, we see this gospel and attack, and we need to understand it's causing people to walk away. This attack was spiritual through real people in the church who were adding to the gospel. And this fourth point, I just want to restate this again so we don't miss it. It was causing people to, in the church to depart from the faith. If you think back to the parable of the sower that we began with, um, think of the, the first three seeds. We had the path and the, the rocks and the thorns. Um, in each of those cases, what happened? Well, the seed was either stolen, withered, or choked, right? Well, here in the early church, in this letter in 1 Timothy, what we're seeing in this church in Ephesus is Paul's looking ahead, and he's looking at this possible attack in the church and saying, 
Seeds are going to be choked out. They're going to be stolen. They're going to be destroyed. He's looking ahead and calling us to be alert um, to the fact that people will depart from the faith by following this nonsense. Now, um, at this point, I want to stop and I want to, to ask something here. I think we have to, as we read a text like this, um, what's going on with this, this whole departing from the faith? And, and to be more specific, does that still happen today? I asked if we're living in the, you know, the later days, and I said we were, so is that, what, what do we do? Um, I want to answer this emphatically yes and emphatically no at the same time, and I want you to follow me with what I mean when I say this, okay? Uh, first, let me start with the yes. An emphatic yes, this is going to happen today. Um, we collectively, as the church, need to be on alert because this can and does happen in the church, that that. I'll point to a scripture here. We see this in a lot of scriptures, but I think the most prominent one that comes to my mind is 1 John 2. 1 John 2, 19, John says, they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that it might become plain that they were not all of us. What's going on there? Well, John's seeing the same thing. He's seeing those who were in, who appears to depart. And he sees this, and as the church, we need to understand, we are going to see this. We are gonna see those who are going to come in and they are going to depart. In other words, we're gonna encounter different kinds of soils. We're gonna see some who are with us for a season. And we look around And with heavy hearts, we say, where did they go? Honestly, I started by talking about the thing I love as a pastor and seeing the aha moments. Let me tell you, um, this part of pastoring is the worst. I I mean it. I get a front row seat to this as well. And um, it's the worst. We promise this is going to happen. Some are going to depart, misled, deceived. And so we're going to see that today. So the first answer, I have to say a resounding yes, this will and does happen. I also want to be very clear that the answer to this question has to also be a resounding no. What I mean by this is, brother, sister, if you are in Christ, saved, justified, forgiven, and redeemed, I want you to hear me. You do not have to live in fear that your God is going to change his mind on you. He is mighty to save you, and he is mighty to keep you. His saving grace is powerful, but please remember that his sustaining grace is powerful as well. In and through Jesus, um, you have been bought at a great price. You have been. And our God knew what he was purchasing when he sent Christ to die for you. I've said this before. And he also does not have buyer's remorse. Paul says in Romans 8, what are we going to say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Then he asks, who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies 
Who's going to condemn? Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who is interceding for us. Paul is clear. It is God who did that. Then he takes it a step further, and he says, since it was God who did that. Verse 35, who shall separate us then from the love of God? Tribulation, distress, persecution, famine, sword, nakedness, danger. What can take us away, he's asking. What can separate it? Can any of those things do it? Paul then emphatically says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. I am sure that neither death, life, angels, rulers, things present, things to come, powers, height, depth, anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God through Jesus Christ our Lord. There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. You are saved by grace through faith. You are kept by grace through faith. And if you are in Christ, if you believe in Christ, listen, you are saved. Let that sit. You are saved. Life eternally and abundantly is yours, and now no one and no thing, including the enemy himself, can snatch you from God's hand. It's like we sang already this morning, he will hold me fast. It's like we sing often that last line of the hymn, no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand till he returns or calls me home. Here in the power of Christ, I stand. We sing that truth all the time because it is true and you need to be reminded of it. I need to be reminded of it because it's his power. You don't need to fear that you're gonna be snatched. You are his. If you're here and you are walking in that, living in that fear in your walk with Jesus, I, I just want to do my best every opportunity that I get to just point you to the gospel again and again and again and again and again and then again and then again until I have no more breath to do it until that fear is no more. You do not need to walk in fear. You can walk in assurance that you are his. Know that you are his and his forever. That's the power and truth of the gospel. And so when we see in this line that our text says, some will depart from the faith, this is pointing to the fact that there are those in the congregation who are being deceived, hearing the gospel, um, but being deceived away from the gospel and walking away to a, another version of truth, being deceived. And, and, and so the people of this text are, are um, of this church, our text says, are facing a spiritual attack by people who are deceiving them with this gospel and nonsense message. And people are leaving the church, the gospel community, to follow after these gospel and lies. That's what's going on in this text. And it's heartbreaking. It's, it, 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 and ultimately, though, it's, it's not just heartbreaking as we look back to Ephesus. Um, but it's ultimately a word of warning to us. It has to be. We might not have the same kind of gospel and message, like um, no marriage. You want to follow Jesus, no marriage. I'm definitely not saying that. Um, we might not have the, hey, if you want to follow Jesus, you can't eat that. But, but any time we add to the gospel, we're guilty of the very same thing. Anytime we do this, anytime we require that someone convert to something else before converting to Jesus, we are guilty of the very same thing. 
And in our text, Paul says, there are those who forbid marriage and require abstinence of food. And I want to finish with our text before we, before we go any further. Um, he clarifies it, and he says, there are those who are calling from abstinence of food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So they were adding to the law, adding to the word, by saying you can't have certain foods when God had clearly given those foods to be enjoyed. Um, he offers these last two verses Verses four and five for some clarification. Um, <laughs> uh, okay. These verses have been used in absolutely ridiculous ways to justify a bunch of nonsense and uh, just absolutely crazy things. I hope that we're going to see um, that that is not what's in view here. You'll see what I mean here in a second. Verse four uh, says, for, for everything created by God is good and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with Thanksgiving, for it's made holy by, you know, the word of God and prayer. Okay, these two verses are parallel statements. Follow with me just for a second here. They're saying the same thing repeated for some clarity. So what I mean here, Paul says, verse four, he says, for everything created by God is good and nothing's to be rejected when it's received with thanksgiving. There are, those are the two main ideas, okay? Then in verse five, the ideas are repeated, for it's made holy by the word of God and prayer. So let's take these two points in order. First point here, again, they're in parallel. First point, verse four, for everything God created is good, then that's paralleled in verse five, for it is made holy by the word of God. Those lines are in parallel, okay? And, and they connect us to Genesis one and two. They connect us, they bring us back to creation when God created all things out of nothing for his glory. And how did he create them? By his word. He spoke it into existence. That's what scripture shows us. So we have this creation account. We see this repeated statement. Um, after he creates something in Genesis 1 and 2, he says, it is good. That was good. That was good. And then lastly, he says, that was real good. Exceedingly good. Everything God created was good. He created all things, and, and, and he himself spoke it forth and said it was good. This is Genesis 1 and 2. The first point here is pointing to God's work of creation. And then the second point, and I'll, I'll hit them again. The second part of verse 4 says, and nothing's to be rejected if it's received with thanksgiving. And then that second part of verse 5, and prayer. The prayer in verse 5 and the thanksgiving in verse 4, they're talking about the same thing. They're in parallel. Um, so follow with me here. This is talking about our heart, our heart of thankfulness when we receive what God has given us. That we would be thankful, express our hearts to God. And so if you put these verses together, let's put it together. You have God who is the creator and it was good. His creative work is good. And when he creates something for us and gives us that thing to enjoy, we are to receive it with prayers of thanksgiving. That's the point of those verses. God created good things. When he gives us good things, we are to enjoy them with a the thankful heart in prayer. And I'll add, you shouldn't reject those who are receiving the good gifts of God with thankful hearts in prayer. That's what is happening here. In other words, this is James 1 that says every good and perfect gift comes from above. It, 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 you look at the next verse, it says he brought it forth by the word of truth. The same thing here. This is James 1. This is what Paul's pointing to here. In, in, in other words, these people in the church are saying, no, you can't eat that. 
No, you can't, you can't get, you can't enjoy marriage. And Paul's saying, no, 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 no. God created that specific food to be eaten and enjoyed. It is good. And he certainly created marriage for his glory and our good, and that is good. And so those who eat that food and get married with grateful hearts to God should not be condemned in the church. That's the point of verses four and five. Um, that's, that's the point of verses four. So this is, you know, speaking against the adding to the word of God. It's as simple as that. This is a call to stand strong in the face of this false teaching, this gospel and teaching. Okay, I mentioned that this has been used for some crazy nonsense as well, so let me just get this out. Um, I have heard this text used to justify a whole argument for using illegal, banned, addicting, or harmful substances Um, because everything God created was good, and I'm thankful for it. I've heard this, and and I got to tell you, don't you dare say that. Don't you dare. I just told you what this verse was for. Don't use it like, don't misuse text to justify your sin. That's not the point of this text, okay? Um, the point of this text, again, is to push against the temptation and the attack to add things to the gospel. That is the point of this text. Man-made additions to the gospel. Paul was pushing back on them. And that's what we should do as well as the church today. Push back against man-made additions to the gospel. Now, I want to bring this whole section together, the first five verses, bring it all together. And, and my question is, what do we do with this? What do we do? What's the call of a text like this? Um, it's this warning, right? And so what do we do with this warning? Uh, I have three things that I want to put before you, okay? Number one, be alert. If you notice, this text doesn't give us a lot of do's and don'ts and propositions, like do that and don't do that. And it doesn't really do that. Instead, It calls us to be alert. It's like Paul is giving us the inside scoop of the enemy's game plan against us. In fact, that's exactly what this is. It's Paul giving us an inside scoop to the game plan of the enemy in our life. We're given the enemy's game plan, and the call here is to be alert and to be aware. We know what the enemy is trying to do in the church. He's trying to deceive Still kill and destroy, right? He's trying to deceive and distract and distort the gospel to get as many people as possible to leave and to chase other things. And we're called in this text to be aware of what the enemy's trying to do. We're called to be aware and, and to be content in the gospel and not to look for other things. Um, if we give up the gospel, church, let's just go home. Like, what are we doing here? Let's just go home. It's done. And so this is a warning text, be alert. First thing, it's a call to be alert. With this though, number two, it's also a call to come back to the gospel daily. Um, The key to growing in Christ, here it is. It's the constant application of the gospel truth in your life. That's the key to growth. Um, It's coming back to the truth of Jesus again and again and again, day after day after day after day. Do you wanna grow in Jesus, then proclaim the gospel to yourself again. And then when you're done, do it again. And again, and again. I've said it before, but the greatest sign of maturity in Jesus is when we are most hungry and satisfied for the simplest of gospel truths. That's a sign of true maturity in Jesus. 
The more we grow in maturity, the more we want to come back to the basic truths and the more it just wrecks us. We will never graduate from the gospel. It is both the, both the milk and the meat. And the more we grow in Jesus, the more satisfaction and hunger we have for the simple truth of the gospel. So this text is, an, is a warning to be alert for the tax of the enemy. But it's also a call for us, our, our wandering hearts, to come back to the simple and powerful truth of the gospel and not to wander off into any gospel and temptations. Lastly, number three, this is a call to care for each other in the gospel. And um, going back to the parable of the sower, you do not know the soil type of your neighbor's heart. Um, You don't need to look at the person sitting beside you, but you don't know the soil type of their heart either. You don't know what they are facing. But what we do know is that your very real enemy is very active in looking to deceive. That people would leave the church, leave the faith. And so I gotta ask, like, what's your role in this? What's your role in this? Um, is there someone who God has put on your heart right now? Is there someone right now who, who maybe is beginning to go what you see as a dangerous path? Maybe someone who is listening to someone or reading someone who is misleading them or pulling them away from truth and your heart hurts. Has God put someone on your heart? If he has, listen, be on the alert and speak truth and love. Care for each other in the gospel. We know this is and will continue to be the attack of the enemy. So how do we push back against it? Well, it's when we're alert, when we continually come back to the gospel, and when we help guard each other in the gospel. That's how we do it. We're gonna, we have to stop here because we have an incredible text that we're about to step into. Um, and we're going to pick up next time. But I wanted to make sure we understand something as we, as we close this up today. Regardless of what the enemy does, regardless, regardless of how the enemy attacks the church, I want to end with this reminder that the gospel will stand, the church will stand until he returns. Jesus says in, in Matthew 16, on this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. Amen? The gospel will stand. The church will stand. Why? Because Jesus is alive. So we can have confidence in this. Have confidence in that. Do not, do not be afraid. No matter what attacks come our way.